The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to Radical Personal Finance, the show dedicated to providing you with the knowledge, skills, insight, and encouragement you need to live a rich and meaningful life now while building a plan for financial freedom in 10 years or less. Today, we continue on our real estate theme with John Fedro from mobilehomeinvesting.net. John, you're going to teach us how to get rich in no time, right? That is not what I promised, but I will teach a lot of good stuff. <laughs> so you, hey, you you work in this little real estate niche of mobile home investing. How did you wind up with this area of focus? You know, it is so weird how life turns out right now. I never lived in a mobile home, never grew up in a mobile home. Uh, didn't even know they exist. Well, I knew they existed, I suppose, before I purchased my first one. But I really failed, um, you know, didn't want mobile homes. I fighted that mobile home like name, like I'm the mobile home go-to guy in the area because that was embarrassing until I saw the money coming in and the need that we're filling, the, the, the demand that there really, really is. Um, so yeah, it definitely took a while, um, but I fell into it. I failed from single family homes is the very, very short version. How do you mean? Tell us, tell us the story of your, your growth as a real estate investor. Yeah. Um, uh, picked up a book from my roommate's uh, wall or his book collection of uh, it was uh, Ron Legrand I believe at the time Ron Legrand like three seminar things and I I looked through all of them it was just you know real estate deals pie in the sky numbers I'm like I can do this this is amazing uh, so you know this was like the heat of the market in Florida back in the very early 2000s so I mean anybody could make money just cleaning a window <laughs> and reselling the home but I couldn't so I didn't know I was too I mean I I wasn't too anything but I, I was very young. I was insecure or unsecure of what I was doing. Uh, drove a you know terrible car. Didn't uh, yeah. Just I lived with with my parents. Um, so, but I, but I was for me I was a go getter. I did have a lot of fire, and I was knocking on doors. I was trying to help people. I was making a number of offers, um, doing the things that I really had learned in the book. I had a life savings of three thousand dollars at the time, and I that dwindled down over the course of like I said about three months. Um, just trying to knock on doors, bang on, you know, um, mail people. So anyway, I didn't get any deals that all that time. And then my first deal was this mobile home in a park for eight grand was the asking price. And I didn't even know it was a mobile home. I was so green, uh, that I didn't even ask that. You know, I just got a call and like from my bandit sign and I'm like, Oh my God, $8,000 for this home. Are you kidding me? I, this is amazing. So I went there and I saw it was a mobile home and I'm like, what is this? I don't know what I'm doing. And, uh, and I was actually so nervous at the time because I could hear the desperation in this woman's voice, which was so weird to me because that's something I've never heard up until that point. So I knew this was a very motivated seller and I was so nervous right before I pulled up to the, in the driveway of the home, I had to pull to the side of the road in this uh, mobile home park. I was going to say trailer park and that's a definite, that's a no, no. <laughs> and, uh, and I, I got sick. I threw up and I, I, I purged on the side, on the side, on the side of the road just cause I was so just you know, flooded with emotions and scared. And even right now I have goosebumps as I'm telling this story. Um, and I remember pulling down that visor mirror and just looking at myself like, do I keep going? I'm already scared. Like this could be a good excuse just to you know, put my tail between my legs and postpone the meeting. And I didn't. I went there, 
who knows how my breath was smelling, but I got the deal, uh, $3,000. I talked, um, negotiated for $3,000 with, remember I didn't have any money. Mm -hmm. So, well, I was working two part-time jobs, but very paycheck to paycheck. Um, so 3000 total price payable as $300 down and $300 a month for nine more months. So, you know, zero interest. Um, so that opened my eyes and this was a four bedroom, two bath, gorgeous double wide that I would have lived in at the time. And it was that nice central heat and air, all the appliances. Um, the first time I sold it on payments for about 27,000, the next time I sold it for the mid thirties. And then the third time I resold it because a lot of what I'm doing is purchasing them and then reselling them on payments. Mm -hmm. Um, so I did get the home back twice and then I finally resold it a third time. Um, for the very, very, very high 30s. And then that actually just paid off uh, early last year. Um, that was my first deal. And then the first you know, year, uh, I had f over 14, 14 homes. And it was just kind of like, it went from just, it was really that thing of like just the light bulb effect. I mean, after that first deal, um, the demand was there. The supply was there. Nobody was doing this. Uh, financing sucks. Buyers with cash are few and far between. There was hardly any investors, you know, doing this kind of thing. You know, mobile homes. There still, there still is. Right. So it was just kind of the perfect storm in hindsight. I mean, I would have never known that at the time, but in hindsight, just stayed active and saw the opportunity and, try, you know, really, really went with it. So, what does your real estate business uh, look like now? It is still all mobile homes. Nothing, a, a lot's changed, but nothing's changed. So it's still all mobile homes. I mean, I know I'm pretty good with mobile homes. I know very little about a lot of real estate. You know, there's just so many things to know about real estate. But my business is the uh, purchasing individual mobile homes in parks, just the rectangle with like out the land. Or it's buying that rectangle, you know, that mobile home uh, with the land, with like a small piece of, you know, there's a city lot a quarter of an acre, or maybe it's in the country and there's an acre or two or three acres. Or uh, now, actually, early last year, I purchased my first uh, mobile home park, the uh, entire community um, of homes and land. And so that, that's, that's it. I, and I'm also helping people. I write a blog, um, you know, to just kind of show some of the things that I've, the mistakes I've made, <laughs> show a lot of the mistakes I've made. <laughs> so. so you kind of fell into it. Um, but you've obviously since then, I would assume uh, that since then you have made an intentional decision to continue in this particular market. Uh, why? Not just, uh, not just keep going with it, but really, uh, I guess brand is for lack of a better word, but yes, brand myself as, you know, in, in my areas, in my territories as that mobile home go-to guy. I mean, if mobile homes weren't able to be the vehicle to get me where I wanted, you know, if they didn't make as, as if they weren't as lucrative as they are, as they weren't as plentiful, um, this is not something that I would do. I mean, I'm not, you know, just, this isn't a hobby for me. You know, this is definitely a business, something that absolutely makes um, a good deal of, of, of value and income. So that's the big reason, you know, I stayed in it because it was lucrative, um, ended up helping a, just a ton of people and got so much value inside of me. The, you know, that kind of the proverbial, like with real estate investing, we show up as investors and we're just that, you know, we're the knight that comes in and saves the day. And the, you know, the sellers are just, they're crying with joy. And that never happened to me. And, and I, I do purchase some single family homes, you know, here and there, because some of my marketing is ambiguous. But um, 
with mobile home people, uh, buyers and sellers, um, it's amazing to hear the gratitude um, and how happy the sellers are when we can purchase their homes, how happy a lot of the buyers are when they're purchasing these homes um, and they're owning a home and they would have owned it no other way and we make everything affordable for them. So um, yeah, bottom line is the reason why I kept doing this um, to get back to your question was because it was lucrative. And then I did brand myself and I very much, you know, uh, internalized that. Like after six months, after I really started seeing, you know, some of the people that I started investing with, you know, that we started going to the same real estate clubs, like I was busy and they weren't. And they were following, you know, the same, I got to get some homes, I got to flip something, I got to, you know, buy and this, like just all the kind of cliche, like normal things that we know of when we first get into it, wholesaling and things like that. And then eventually after six months, I'm, I stood up at the real estate event and, and I let people know, like, this is what I'm, I'm, you know, John Fedro, mobile home guy, here's my number, mobile homes. And, and then that was a huge source of leads. People were actually coming up to me like, oh my goodness, I'm so glad you said that. I got these leads. I don't know what to do with them. I throw them away because mobile homes are stupid. And so it's right, like, hey, right. send them over to me. Well, it definitely <laughs> points out a major business lesson there. The differentiation is incredibly valuable. Um, differentiation makes you referable. <laughs> uh, and that can be a huge, a huge benefit. Well, make, make, uh, so I'm a potential real estate investor. Um, I, I'm thinking, okay, I need to make a plan and make a strategy. Make the business case to me of why I should consider following in your footsteps. Oh, oh, that's good. Well, I would say first that it's so, you know, anybody can do a deal. I mean, it's, it's easy to do a skinny deal um, or just a buying and selling a mobile home inside of a, you know, park. Uh, when we're talking about buying and selling mobile homes inside of a community, like a pre-existing park, that's very akin well, it's not very akin. It's similar to buying and selling a, a automobile to some to some extent, and I mean that because it just happens so darn quick quickly. Mobile homes attached to land, just like single family homes, you need a typically a thirty day process. There's a title, you know, there's title work involved. There's some, well, possibly underwriting involved. But with a mobile home in a park, there's none of that, hardly any. So we're buying and selling these very quickly. There's not that many people doing this in the area. And or there's most likely in your area, not many people doing this um, spoken because I'm, I'm working with people around the country. But um, for the fact of, of doing this business, you know, for the people listening, don't just do our in my mind, you're going to be setting yourself up to get the deals that I would want anybody to do. And it's so easy to do a, net, a, a skinny deal. And the deals that I would want anybody to do, Joshua, and for the folks listening, this is like that litmus test of, hey, should I do a deal? Is this a, is this a good deal, like a quote-unquote good deal? And whenever we sell a mobile home, if you're selling it for cash, you know, buying it for cash, selling it for cash, we want to minimum double your money very quick, quickly. But if you're selling it on payments, there's a kind of a test of what you want to do. You want to make sure that when you sell that home, you're making all your money back in the first year. So, you know, you purchased the home. And you have acquisition, you purchase the home for this price, you have this many repairs in it, you want to get in this much labor, this much holding cost, you want to get all that back in your first year, you want to make $300 minimum cash flow per door, and when you're selling these, you want to hold them, if you're selling them on some sort of uh, structured payments, you want to sell them for at least five years worth of payments. So five years worth of $300 payments minimum. So that's in my mind, that's what I'm getting up for. Like, that's a good deal. If it's not going to do that, 
at the moment, it's not worth our time in my mind. So that I think is the first thing to like, let's talk about and let's have everybody understand, you know, just because you talk to seller down from 20,000 down to 10,000 doesn't make it a good deal. So it make, it's a good deal if you can make your money back quickly, you can make significant profit, and you can sell it for you know, the next five years minimum uh, with payments, if you're selling on payments. And then the case for going ahead and you know, once you understand what the deal is, these homes, um, like you said before, not that many people want them. The, uh, or well, other investors are willing to kind of give them away. So Working with affordable housing, working with housing that nobody else, that very other few other people want, um, has been amazing. The folks that I'm working with in my business as well, um, we are doing, <laughs> we're having to uh, fight a lot less, I feel, um, than a lot of other, our competition. We have the luxury, like the luxury in this business of, of, of mobile home investing to, to be patient, to help sellers, to make offers and not step on any other not step on any other competition, you know, to not have five other investors fighting for one mobile home. Um, and then once you do do one deal, the way that, well, and I guess this is, you, you can run your business anyway, or uh, any way that you want to. The way that I work with folks is that, you know, anyone listening to this, try not to just do one deal, really brand yourself in the area. Everyone you talk to, let them know how you can help them. Let them know how you can help them with mobile homes because it's not a big, uh, it's not a big world out there with mobile homes. Like mobile home people in your area know other mobile home people. And there's not many of us investors helping them. So I'm not sure. I think I kind of went off on a tangent, Josh. Um, uh, I do hope that that answered a little bit of the question. It does. Follow-up question. What are the driving factors in uh, in the deal? And let me give you a little bit of preamble so you can understand what I'm driving at. Uh, I'm comfortable with the idea of looking at uh, real estate, uh, thinking about the supply and demand, single-family houses, my area. I see economic growth. People are going to need affordable housing. This type of housing is attractive, blah, blah, blah. Uh, there's underlying factors that are going to be driving the rents versus the values, uh, mortgage rates, accessibility of credit, etc. I can understand single-family houses. I can understand the dynamics behind commercial real estate, uh, depending on the type of real estate. If we're talking Class A office space, now our demand is going to be driven by um, these various business trends. If we're talking about uh, warehousing, these are the trends we're going to look at. What are the driving factors, though, with regard to mobile home investing? Because for, for the first statement, you said of selling it in cash, uh, obviously cash is, is less lucrative than well, – Let's just stick with cash. Uh, selling it for cash and someone saying double your money, what's driving the, 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 mechan- the, the, the numbers of the deal? What are the, the forces that are acting upon the mobile home marketplace? Great question. So that is a um, – I feel like to answer that question, um, in some respects, you need to understand the sellers. You need to understand the uh, buyers because the sellers and buyers are drastically different um, in many cases, that's obviously a very blanket statement, but they're very different than single-family home buyers and sellers. So um, when we're buying a mobile home, let's say in a park, let's say for, um, you know, you're buying it on payments or cash or who knows, but when you're selling it, um, every seller of a mobile home, they want basically two things. They want the most money they can get in the shortest period of time. And in most areas, in most markets around the country, except for the really hot spot markets, like really, you know, people are just going into these areas and 
spending money on anything. They're just because there's so much uh, lack of housing. So in most areas of the country, besides those really, really hot spot, like targeted areas, there are more sellers of mobile homes than there are cash buyers. And mobile home sellers, they typically do not want to take payments. I'd say maybe the Hispanic demographic might take payments a little bit more, but um, they typically don't want to take payments um, with average civilians that want to come in and buy their home. This, the people that want to come in and buy their homes, it's tough to go to a bank and say, I want to, I want to get a loan on a used mobile home in a park. Um, and they don't typically have that cash, you know, 10,000, 20,000, 30,000, even six or 7,000 cash to go ahead and own any of these homes. So the buyers are, you know, with cash are kind of few and far between financing stinks. There's not a lot of us investors doing this. Now I say that because for the seller, you know, most, I'm not going to say most, many sellers that we talk to are sort of paycheck to paycheck folks. And that's not good or bad. It's just sort of indicative of sellers that there's a timeline, like they need to leave in the next, you know, two months. They haven't right. paid this month's lot rent. They're being evicted. They have any you know, cash for their, their first last in security on the next place. That, you're right. So, so it, it's a, just a breeding ground where there's not a lot of buyer or buyers that can pull the trigger and then sellers that have this like kind of guillotine above their head that's eventually going to kind of come down. So the market, you know, in, in a lot of areas when we're talking about cash, if your plan as an investor is, okay, I want to do everything in cash, buy homes for cash and sell homes for cash, buying them, you're not going to have a problem. Selling them, like we're not magicians, Josh, you know, we, we're not going to fool people or hypnotize our buyers into thinking, hey, I got this mobile home, it's worth like double what it's really worth. So if you're, you know, if you can provide a value, if you can buy a home and then put some sweat equity into it, do some repairs to it, then you can legitimately raise the price. Maybe as an investor, you know, our job, and I say maybe, but it's not maybe, you know, our job as an investor is to find deals, is to, is to shake the tree, not just find the easy ones, but find the people that, you know, need to sell or they're motivated or they're embarrassed about their situation. So I'd say part of being an investor is finding these deals and then capitalizing on it when you do find it. Um, but not much of my business, I would say 20%, and in fact, most of the people I work with, about 20% or less of their, of their business is reselling for cash. So sticking on this cash theme, right. you know, it, there's not a lot of buyers out there for cash. Of course. And, the, and the ones that do, they want a deal. They right. know my money's valuable. So, so I hope that the, so the, the market dynamics when we're talking for cash uh, very, very different than ones with payments. So um, what, I, what I hear, the primary value that you bring as an investor to the marketplace is liquidity because you're coming in as a buyer. and let's, so, so you said maybe 20% of deals are selling for cash. So 80% of your um, selling of your, of your units is owner financing. You're financing the buyer, right? That, that's what that, you just said? Okay. That's correct. So in that situation, what you're doing, the, the, the major, a major service, I mean, the biggest one that stands out to me is you're providing liquidity. You're coming in, somebody needs to sell, uh, they're trying to move, they want to get on to the next place, they need money, uh, they lost their job, they're trying to move back across the state. I mean, uh, when we're talking about lower income, sometimes it's a more transient population uh, and they need money to get to the next place for first, last, and security so they can rent an apartment in downtown where they can get a job. So they need to sell. So you come in, you're providing a ready market of cash uh, at a price that solves their problem, 
and then you're providing the financing uh, on the flip. Uh, you're improving the property, fixing things that need to be fixed, renting a, renting usable housing, and then providing some of the financing for the person on the backside who is um, – who needs the financing. They can't just go down to the, the bank. They're an immigrant. They, they have unsteady job and you're providing the financing. That's a huge benefit. Is that, is that the major, is that, is that an accurate understanding of what you're saying? That is accurate. Yes. As long as they um, have the ability to repay their good folks, then yes, um, we do provide financing. And then I will say maybe 30 to 40% of the deals that we acquire, um, we're purchasing them from, um, the seller on uh, payments. So we're giving the seller payments um, versus an all-cash price. So how much do the values uh, – I wouldn't even know where to start with valuing a mobile home uh, because it would be such a different marketplace than something like standard three-bedroom, two-bath, single-family houses. How much do the values wander around and how much are those value? and what are the driving factors behind those values? If there are comps that – like if, 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 if your strategy is purchasing however you're going to purchase and then selling it for either cash or FHA or, you know, conventional financing, which is perfectly fine, you know, which can, can be done, a mobile in a park, a mobile um, on land, there's certainly financing out there. But if that's what you want to do, excuse me, then oh, uh, I'm not sure if you can edit this, Josh. Can you go back and ask that question again? Sure. Okay. What then drives the values of a property uh, in terms of what, what are the driving influences underlying the value of the mobile home marketplace? Um, that's a good question. I want to make sure I give you a good answer. So before I answer, I just want to think about that. Um, you're referring to when, I, when, when we sell a home. Um, could you get a little, give me a little bit more context? I want to make sure I don't go off on a tangent. Yeah. I guess what I'm thinking is, uh, let me give you a little background. Let me give you a little background uh, to this question before we start. Um, what I'm trying to understand is is what's going to drive that marketplace. I've never considered being a mobile home investor until um, doing this interview, but I am working on being a real estate investor. Uh, and so I've been going out and I've never lived in a mobile home. Uh, I remember one friend of mine who did live in a mobile home, but I don't spend a lot of time in mobile home uh, uh, parks. Um, I looked at in my area when I was trying to find what's the best deal on housing. I went and I drove a couple of local mobile home parks that I could find to see if that would work well uh, for my wife and I to live in. But when I ran the numbers, I didn't find any compelling financial thing that got me to say, hey, this would be what we should do. Uh, I've been researching and studying the local neighborhoods here in my area and looking for to, to understand uh, the different markets. So I found a few mobile home parks that I didn't even know existed. I've <laughs> driven through them and, and uh, I said, wow, okay, now I didn't even know this was here. I just drove past it on the road and here's this huge mobile home park. Uh, but I've never considered going into it and investing. And my biggest nervousness was that would be that I don't understand the market. I don't understand what's going on in the market. I don't understand what the driving factors are behind the values. I'm much less comfortable uh, going into it and, and saying, yeah, here, this is a deal. Here's how I know it's a deal. Here's how I can expect the price to move. So that's the preamble to, to, to this question. What are the driving factors that are going to drive the values or the, the supply and demand of these units if I were to go in and start buying mobile homes? Okay. Because you originally, um, does, it, does this uh, 
question also have to do sort of of what's how are these valued or how do I, mm-hmm. um, you know, you just the value. Like, if is there like a seventy percent ARV minus repairs? Is there some sort of formula? Sure, absolutely. For that, is that akin to what you're? To kind of what you're asking? Well, more I'm asking the marketplace, meaning that uh, how do I know how do I know if there's going to be a demand for this unit? How do I know if I'm getting a good deal? Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Perfect. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> you know, it's funny because it's like when you say you know certain thing or just people in general, like you can say one thing and then it, it just clicks. Mm-hmm. So um, okay, yeah, that makes that makes perfect sense. Um, so understanding your market, like clarity is by far one of the biggest um, keys to my, to my God, any kind of getting started in any, in any new real estate, especially with mobile homes, because it's so easy. I know I've said this a few times, but it's so easy to do a skinny deal. It's so easy to do a bad deal. You know, you think you're doing right and it's not. So the driving factors um, to know, you know, before you pull a trigger, um, we have to know what these homes are going to sell for. We have to know what they're going to sell for cash. We have to know what if we sell them for payments, what our what our buyers are going to are going to pay for uh, them. We also have to know the park application requirements. Also, what is for sale? You know, in that area, in the park nearby, what's for sold? What's being sold on payments? What's being rented? If you can rent in this community, uh, what's being sold for cash? Um, and then is there a lot of homes selling for cash? In most parks, there won't be. But in some parks, few parks, there'll be, you know, uh, uh, comparable sales of, you know, five homes this current year were sold, you know, un- in under 30 days to a cash buyer or to cash buyers for, you know, $50,000, $40,000. So in some parks, there's actually comps. And if your exit strategy was selling all cash, that might be valuable to you. Uh, if it was a newer home, maybe, or if even if it was an older home, just depending on the inventory. So homes on land versus homes in parks, I mean, they, they are apples to oranges. But homes in parks, we're looking at everything from the, the park manager to the park itself, to the lot fees, to the safety, to the application process, and a lot in, in the repairs, of course, and then knowing buyers. You know, what do your buyers want? Do they want a handyman special? Do they want a home that's ready and fixed up to the nines? Do they want to buy something, two-bedroom versus three-bedroom? How much will they pay? And that kind of loops me back to what I was saying before. We have to know what buyers will pay before we can, before we can purchase a home. Because remember, one of the kind of litmus test things I, I told you uh, would depend on a good deal is if we can recoup all of our invested capital in a year or less. So we have to know what we can make in a year worth of like down payments and payments what we can make in that first year to then say, okay, well, this is how much I can offer for a home in a park because I want to be recouped in my first year uh, and then, you know, and then make profit from that point on. Um, did that help yeah. a little bit? Did that make sense? So wh- where do you live, John? What part of the country? Uh, uh, well, my, a lot of my business was started right there in uh, Florida and now I'm currently in Texas. What part of Florida? Uh, the Tampa Bay area. Okay. So I live in West Palm beach. Yes. Here's the question. Why do people, in the places that you own home own yes. mobile homes why do why do your tenants or why do your buyers choose to live in mobile homes good question um that so i've noticed around 2009 2010 maybe 2011, I had most of my people, well, let me actually go back even further. Before that time, before the, you know, 2008 crash, 
the, the folks I sold to, most of them lived in a mobile home. They, were fr- they knew about mobile homes. They grew up in a mobile home. They lived in a mobile home before. They understood it. They fixed them. Or, you know, they just knew what was going on. And it was affordable to them, and they were used to it. After 2008, for about three years, I noticed people that were jaded towards single-family homes. Maybe they had a foreclosure, maybe not. But they were coming to me and saying, oh, my gosh, I can purchase this home for, you know, 30 to 40 bucks a square foot versus, you know, the home I just came from, which was three or four time, times that. And I mean, and I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm selling at a, you know, pretty good, you know, upper end retail price on pay on payments. And I mean, I, I'm happy, obviously. And then these people moving into these homes are happy. They're like saving so much money. So I did notice that um, for about a three year period after 2008. And then after that, since then, I've noticed that the folks I'm selling to more currently now, and for the past few years, they've been the same people as before where they're, you know, they've grown up in a mobile home or they lived in one before, but it's what they can afford. Um, flexible with the, with the move-in fee, flexible with the down payment or the monthly payments. I want to make sure we put good people in all of these homes. They have the ability to repay. We're not going to get them back. Um, so that is the most, I, I'd say that's the bottom or that's like the reason it's affordable housing. I think if people had a, a choice, if they want to move into a mobile home or a single family home, I think most people that would choose a, a mobile home would rather live in a single family. I mean, I don't think anybody listening is debating that. Um, but it's just affordable, affordable housing and it's nice housing. I mean, it's not slum lordy, you know, there's, there's a lot of that out there, I'm sure. But what we're talking about is not, you know, these are roof walls, central heat and air, appliances, decent carpet, paint, you know, smells good. Um, nice people, good neighbors, good park, decent park probably. I guess um, I'll have to go out and spend some time in the parks nearby me trying to understand the economics of it. My only experience with mobile homes was was looking at uh, one park that was near my, my office as a place that I thought about renting. And when I just went in there and because I thought, well, maybe I could save some money and I'm, I'm – um, unencumbered by uh, any kind of stigma that people, other people have. I don't have any. I don't care. Um, I don't really care about what people think about where I live. So uh, it wasn't a it wasn't a problem for me. But I just wasn't impressed with the finances of it. I didn't find that there was any particular. Uh, there was a major benefit. I didn't find it was substantially cheaper as far as the rental costs than other options. Now, maybe I should have taken it through and and uh, uh, run it all the way out. But when I, you know, the park that I was looking at uh, was a nice one, but the lot rent, uh, just to rent the lot, it was uh, I think five or six, seven hundred dollars a month. Um, now, again, there was a nice park in Palm Beach Gardens, uh, but the lot rent was so high that I just ran the numbers and I was like. This, why is why I don't understand why people would live here when there's lots of other places to rent that are that are more cost effective. Well, if that's so, parks are on a case by case basis. There's ones that have the mom and pop owners haven't raised rents in 20 years, and then there's other parks where they're they know what the market is and they go above it. Like they know that the people in their communities, you know, they're not going to like, you know, it costs, let's face it, it costs two to $10,000 or more to move a mobile home and then reset it up somewhere else. A lot, well, not a lot, mobile home park owners know that. And some of these park owners, they try to gouge, you know, get as much money as they can. So in some parks, it is very inflated, the price, and it's tough to make. $300 on a two bedroom or a three bedroom. Now I'm glad to say that that's a minority of parks. Most parks, 
you know, want to do right by their people. They want to provide, you know, they, they want to get paid and make a profit. But most parks are average lot rent. The one you might have went through, that might have been a little bit higher or it might have been a five star park. Maybe it had a golf course or tennis courts or some other amenities. Yeah, it was um, it was very nice, and and I'll go and look at the one that's uh, the other one that I've been to recently. That's much more basic. Uh, it's much more of um, it's much more of okay. This is working class housing, and I'll dig into uh, the numbers there. So I need to I need to check that out. How do you deal with the the major fear I think that people have that the value of mobile homes goes down? <laughs> it's so funny to me. I'm sorry. I, I don't mean to laugh, but I I, I you know as you're you're doing this for four for fourteen years, and and I I forget like the basic questions, the basic fears that are on people's minds, and and I I remember thinking these. I remember right in you know uh, Hurricane Alley, which is you know Florida. <laughs> I remember thinking, you know, what am I doing? Why would I buy these? They're just going to be gone in like a year. Like they're going to blow away. And I mean, obviously that's that's a fallacy. The homes that we're purchasing are twenty years old, thirty years old, ten years old. They've been there. They've lasted. Like they're not. You know, they might go somewhere, but it's not likely that they're going to be blown away. And then as far as, no, that, that wasn't what you were asking, but it kind of equally, um, although this isn't a fallacy, mobile homes do depreciate, that's for sure. Um, when we're purchasing these mobile homes, um, anybody that purchases a mobile home in a park on land or any, tr- any piece of property, don't buy a mobile home, you know, thinking you're going to make money or hoping you're going to make money. Buy it knowing that you're going to make money. Mobile homes absolutely do depreciate, but the value when you're purchasing them, you can purchase them from a, a seller that, you know, wants to get out. They need to get out. They're willing to sell. Um, they've tried to sell. The market has spoken and you're the one coming you know, there to make them an offer, whether it's cash or payments. Um, but you're purchasing that, you know, if you're doing your numbers correctly, you have a lot of value in there. You have a lot of potential profit to be made. And then when we're selling, hope that wasn't too loud. When we're selling, uh, when we're selling the homes, it's on the opposite side of that spectrum where we're not selling to somebody that just you know, where they kind of can get a home or, you know, they, they, they can go, they can go to a bank. Um, we're selling to folks that, you know, want a property that want to live here for the next five, six, seven years that are tired of renting for the last 20 years. They finally want to own something. Um, so we're selling to those folks, usually on payments, sometimes for cash. Um, but mobile homes do depreciate. Um, even on land, the homes depreciate, the land sort of appreciates. Um, and you can end up, you know, I guess if there's comparables around you, you can absolutely buy a home conventionally at one price and resell it conventionally and make a big profit in between. So the whole argument of mobile homes depreciating is not the question that you want to be asking. It's, you know, is there a value there? Can I create a value from the point when I buy it to the point when I sell it? Um, and, you know, that it's obviously that's on a case by case basis, of course. But um, I think that's the real question that people should be asking, not so much the depreciation, because that's not even a question. It's like, yeah, they do depreciate. Right. Yeah, <laughs> everything depreciates. If you had the, and if you doubt me, even you know, stick built houses on uh, on a foundation, they depreciate. If you doubt me, you know, you have two houses that are next to each other, identical. Um, they're the same price. One of them is thirty years old. And one of them is brand new. Which do you choose? 
and you know you choose the one that's brand new even if there were a difference in price and you're paying more you pay for the brand new so the only reason that a house wouldn't depreciate that a house wouldn't depreciate land can depreciate the only reason a house wouldn't depreciate is if it's been maintained and improved and if the underlying market dynamics are increasing the demand the otherwise things wear out uh, there's a reason you get a depreciation expense for real estate ownership because your house is depreciating in value um, no matter what's going on uh, so uh, but I ask it because a lot of people have that that question uh, that they've been taught well you don't wouldn't want to own a mobile home because it depreciates but you would want to own a house because it appreciates it goes up in value uh, and I agree with you run your numbers and and ask yourself the actual question on an actual deal if yeah, if you, um, I guess we can say, you know, I think that we can all agree, you know, if you're going to buy a mobile home in a park, uh, and this is something that's really sad. I get this at least once a month, at least once a month, where it's a seller who purchased a home. They might have purchased it new or they, they just paid retail. Like they, they paid, you know, they paid cash for their home five years ago. And now, or not even five years ago, two years ago or less, and now they want to turn around and resell it for cash, and they can't even get a fraction of what they paid for it. So yeah, mobile homes do depreciate. Um, if you're going to hold on to it for a long time, um, you know you you want to probably. Li- There's just so many. I, I think I'm kind of going off on a little bit of a tangent here, but there, I see it regularly where people fall into that. I mean, there's the general public. And that's probably where a lot of these horror stories come from is, you know, I bought a mobile home for this price and I couldn't even get half my money back in like two years when I went and sold it. And because that, you know, that seller sold it for cash, which again, there's not many cash buyers out there and everyone's competing against those same ones. So there's all around the country, I think that there's a lot of like bad tastes in a lot of people's mouths just from being maybe just uneducated or just unclear on the real world, like behind the scenes mobile homes, because they are valuable. Will they last another 10, 20, 30 years? You know, if they're taken care of, absolutely. But do people have the cash to pay and do they depreciate? Um, yes. So I'd like to ask you a question. Do you have an interesting entry on your website about uh, titling property into land trusts and personal property trusts with a special emphasis on mobile homes? Tell me about land trusts, personal property trusts, and how and why you use these entities. Oh, my goodness. Well, that's something that when I started, um, we, I, I was always using them. My mentor at the time in, in Tampa didn't know too much about mobile homes. And, but I, you know, I, I, I had a mentor and I was bugging that mentor almost every day. And uh, land trusts were, are very popular. Um, and so our personal property trust. So with the help of an attorney, with the help of some other pre-existing documents, um, went ahead and started purchasing these mobile homes in parks, on real land, uh, in personal property trusts. And that was just the way that I got started. Um, and it's sort of just been conditioned over time. Now, um, we do use those for you know uh, anonymity purposes, for probate, um, and just because that's kind of what we've been doing for so long. But it's nice to keep um, names off of public record um, as well for a few different reasons. Not any reason that you know we would be taking advantage of folks, um, but we certainly don't want to be a big whale when folks are you know Googling your name to see how much property you own. Um, and if you're going to be reselling these properties, then you know you wouldn't even be owning the home anyway. Um, 
But I'd say for lack of a, of, of a better way, it's been out of habit. Um, and then the fact that they do allow for that sort of veil of anonymity, um, that's why we uh, use them. So habit and anam- anonymity. So the idea here is you establish an entity. This is a trust, so it exists as a document. And then the trust is the document, is the entity that owns and, and transacts the deal. And because it's listed on the on the public records as, you know, uh, 123 Maple Street Land Trust, uh, or and that's the owner of the property, it's not necessarily connected to Joshua Sheets. Uh, so anonymity is great. Uh, however, question – how much cost uh, does this add to a transaction for you? Um, it adds zero cost. Why? Um, the documents are there. Um, you just use a boilerplate document every time. One, correct. Got, got one that works, that's state-specific, uh, and now around the country that's state-specific, um, correct. And then those are filled in. Now, if there's something that needs to be different, then that will be different, but no, 90% of the time... There's zero cost or more than 90%. What about the cost of a separate taxation entity? Are these, are these structured as a flow-through entity or do they file tax returns? They are flow-through. So you don't have to file any additional paperwork with a, a land trust? With these uh, particular ones. Interesting. Any recommended resources on the topic that you've found to be helpful, uh, uh, specifically on, on real estate ownership and titling? With regards to trusts? Yes. Uh, Mark Warda in the state, I'm sure you've, or maybe not, um, you know, Mark Warda is a big, a big name. Um, M-A-R-K-W-A-R-D-A, I believe. He writes a lot of good trust stuff. Also the NOLO, uh, N-O-L-O.com. That's a good sort of legal reference, a legal, legal aid um, reference that, fo- that folks can use. But definitely get yourself, you know, you have an, have an attorney um, on your side in the, be- in the beginning. Last question, John, uh, or second to last question. Do you, obviously you're pretty deeply invested in mobile home, in the mobile home business, uh, but what's your least favorite aspect of this investment strategy that you've chosen for yourself? The, the least favorite was the, the three years that it took me, and I'm a slow learner, <laughs> apparently with this. I learn things fast sometimes, but it took me three years to... Um, to properly screen people. The first three years of my business, I had a 100% default rate. I put people in that didn't need to be in. They had no right being in my homes. They were, you know, unemployed. They were homeless, living in a church. Uh, you know, I, I would follow my heart so many times and it ended up burning me. I can't remember a time when it didn't burn me. Um, so screening people, you know, the people that we're selling to, if you advertise a home with owner financing, and nowadays, you know, there's mortgage loan originators to help, there's closing attorneys, um, we have to make sure that people have the ability to repay. But back, you know, years ago, you didn't have to do a lot of that. So it was on me to pre-screen people. And I just did not pre-screen people correctly. So you can do everything correctly, the acquisition price, the negotiation, the repairs, the holding costs you manage, but then you resell the home to somebody that or rents it, you know, you, you rent it or you resell it on, pay, on payments and you put the wrong person in there that just causes you a headache. I mean, and more than a headache, obviously, anxiety, headaches, they're the wrong person, they were never the right person. So I would say that, and I guess that kind of boils down to the people, but I don't want to say the mobile home people, buyers, are any different, because I think that there's flaky people, and there's malicious people, and there's bad apples in every group, very wealthy people, 
you know, people that more need affordable housing and everyone in between. So <clears throat> more so, I would say just with real estate or, you know, it was for me, it was like pre-screening people. I followed my heart too much. I listened to what people said instead of really, you know, understanding who they are and knowing that somebody, you know, you don't have a crystal ball. So somebody's past is typically going to equal their future. I mean, people can change, of course, but, you know, looking at somebody's past is a good indication of their future. So that was a big, you know, eye opener for me that took way too long. Tell us about your website, uh, courses, podcast, any uh, action that you'd like my audience to take after this interview. Sure. If you're interested, I hope there's a lot of free actionable items, uh, videos, case studies on the YouTube channel that I have on my website, mobilehomeinvesting.net. You can reach out there and it's been going on for, I think, since like, like six or seven or eight years now. So there's a lot of content there. So check it out. And if you have any questions, don't hesitate to reach out. John, thanks for coming on. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. I hope it was valuable for listeners and everyone. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Radical Personal Finance. If you're interested in building financial freedom for yourself and your family, please subscribe to the podcast with our free mobile app so you don't miss a single episode. Just search the app store on your mobile device for Radical Personal Finance and download our free app, which also contains an archive of every past episode of the show. If you have received value, and financial benefit from the content of today's show, please consider becoming a supporting patron. Radical Personal Finance is listener-supported, and it's your direct financial support which enables me to bring you this content. In addition to your voluntarily paying for the content you've just heard, as a supporting patron, you will receive a number of member-only benefits, including a private Facebook group, access to our weekly Q&A calls, and discounts on future products and services. Details can be found at RadicalPersonalFinance.com slash patron. Again, RadicalPersonalFinance.com slash patron.